Welcome to Distillery Predicts, a new series from Distillery, a predictive marketing intelligence company. I'm Caroline Allen, the marketing manager, and I'll be bringing you direct access to our team of AI, machine learning, and media experts. Today we're talking with Peter Lenz, our senior geospatial analyst, and Peter Abara, uh, one of our analysts from our data science team. They have been digging into some really interesting questions around the 2018 election and how we can use our data that we use every day for brands, how that can be applied to the political world. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So do you want to give us a little bit of background about distillery? Um, I know this isn't the first time we've kind of taken the dive into using our data in the political world. So uh, how did that get started? Sure. So actually, distilleries role in politics began before we were even called Distillery. One of our predecessor companies, Everscreen Media, was in fact the primary programmatic advertising company for the Mitt Romney campaign. And we learned a lot about how to do political media targeting at that time. Uh, fast forward a couple years later, and in 2016, uh, Pete and I worked on a project where we took a look at devices that showed up at, at Iowa caucus locations. So the Iowa caucus is really important. It's traditionally the very first indication of who is really going to be a player in a presidential election cycle. And people show up at places like town halls and gymnasiums and schools and they literally talk it out with one another about who they're going to support and that means they stand around for a long time and one of the truisms that we understand here at Distillery is that when people are standing around waiting out come their devices. We mapped all of these locations, we took a look at the devices that showed up at them during the caucus time. One of the great things about it is that the Democrats caucus separately from the Republicans, so we were able to separate out those signals very cleanly. And we were actually able to build profiles of which, which, which people support which candidates. And that was our first deep dive into using our crafted audience technology for politics. Today, what we want to do is go even deeper. That was kind of like a first look, how can we do this? Now we want to go in depth. Instead of just a huge presidential election using lots and lots of data, we're actually going to take a look at one specific district and not just tell you who supports who, but actually try and predict who is actually going to win this race. So what we wanted to do for the Pennsylvania 18th, and this is a special election that's going to be occurring on March 13th, and we wanted to take some of the ideas that we've developed previously and really, like like Lens was talking about, really take them deeper. Let's look at people's content and let's start using content as a predictor of who they're likely to support and then using that data as a way to understand how likely one, part, one person is going to win over the other in this election. It's really no different than what we do every day for brands, but applied to politicians. Because, you know, what else is a politician but a kind of brand? Exactly. I mean, it's no different from a marketer trying to sell their products, you know, a campaign manager or a campaign is trying to sell a person. Yeah, exactly. And usually with brands, you know, you're going to be in a very competitive environment where you're looking at, you know, dozens of potential um, companies trying to get that same person. What's kind of unique about the political realm, it's going to be two people fighting over that, that same type of, like really instead of a customer, it's a voter. 
and they're going to be fighting over that. So it makes it really easy to, or easier, I should say, to start distinguishing what draws people and what behavior draws it to one candidate over the other. What makes it more difficult is that in marketing, people are always buying products mm -hmm. every day. In politics, you have one, we would like to, we would call it a conversion event, where somebody makes a decision. There's only one conversion event that matters. Um, when we're typically building models, we use previous conversion events of other devices to predict and to, to learn what makes a person make that decision. Politics, you don't get that. Every time an election happens, it's different from every other election. And there's no real training data the way we would consider it um, to build a model. So it's, on one hand, it's very similar to what we do every day, and on the other hand, it's slightly different. And something else that we do every day, though, is we not only can expose brands to new audiences, but we can actually use our data to determine, in some cases, consumer behavior, and if they're actually going and you know, going to the store and purchasing the item that they were exposed to the online display ad, for, for example. Can you use data to not only help drive, you know, political affiliation, but drive potentially turnout on election day? Yeah, I think that that's kind of where our data can be the most helpful for people. Um, one of the things that we kind of realized when looking at this is uh, every day a candidate's out there trying to get their name out there. That's, that's Their whole life is the campaign. They're doing events, they're doing calls, they're knocking on doors, you know, Every day that's what they do. What we, our data was kind of showing is that even though that's what a candidate is doing all the time, that when it comes to the constituency that they're going after, it's usually, it's 1% of that constituent's be overall behavior. So like, it may be the politician's whole life, but it's very much not the voter's whole life. It's really a small slice. And so what our data is able to do is kind of say, look, you have a good grasp on what's going on with that 1%. Let's show you the other 99% of things going on and what kind of motivational triggers in that 99% can motivate people to come out and vote. Well, how can I reach this group of users by understanding the, the issue that matters to them and it will motivate them to come out and vote. And that's where I think that our data is going to be really helpful. Especially in a, a campaign like this one. So a presidential campaign is absolutely a massive thing and it dominates uh, people's minds. Right, leading right up to an election. This is a special election, and they're much smaller. People, even for one that's important as this one and as getting as much coverage as the PA 18 is, it's not that big. People aren't thinking about it enough, and you have to be very sophisticated to hone in on that hone in on that relatively small signal that you are that your voters are are, are sending you. For our listeners who are most likely unfamiliar with what's happening in Pennsylvania right now, can you um, give a little bit of a brief background on the PA 18 election that's happening on Tuesday? Yeah, so what happened is the seat was vacated previously by uh, a GOP congressman, and so when that happens, they're just going to run a special election to fill that seat. Um, for the for the Republican Party, they're running uh, Rick Saccone as their nominee, and on the Democratic side, it's Connor Lamb. And it's become a hot button issue because this is a district that Trump had won by over 20 points uh, in 2016. And so they are, a lot of people are kind of gauging this as how much are people starting to understand and really like or dislike the Trump presidency and the things that he's doing, which is why it's become this national race um, and very much like a measuring stick over what's gonna happen in November. So let's talk a little bit deeper about this um, research that you did with the PA 18 special election. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so um, usually what we've done, and like what we did a little bit differently here when trying to develop a support model to understand how likely the people living in the Pennsylvania 18th would be to support one over the other, is traditionally we've kind of always, and I think Lenz would agree, we've always built like a democratic model and try to understand how likely people are to be a democrat. We then built a republican model and try to understand how likely that is. And I think one of the things we found is that there's a high overlap because when it comes to people that are just likely to support one party or the other, they're just politically involved. Our models always just found people who were politically minded, period, instead of being able to tell us who is supporting which party. Basically what we did is we, we built out a model that is going to score people on a scale of GOP to Democrat. Um, it's like a zero to one scale. So if you were closer to zero, you're a likely GOP member. If you're closer to one, you're a likely Democratic supporter. Um, and what we found when we ran this model um, previously, or the, for the kind of like the first time, just looking at all the devices that we see homed in the Pennsylvania 18th, is that we find that over like 55% of devices lean on the Republican side. And it's, you know, that's, it's a district that's gone Republican for the last 20 plus years. And that's very much what our model has shown, that the Democrats are kind of playing with um, far fewer people that are going to help them carry the election unless they're able to kind of swing more of that in. So they, it's, it's very much a Republican-leaning district, and when we are starting to run and as we got closer to the election, what we see is that on the extreme ends of our model, that the Democrats have actually done a much better job of bringing people to a higher score, a higher level of support, and garnered that enthusiasm. Um, and that we think that's starting to like outperform the Republicans in that sense. Republicans have the 55% likely support, but they just haven't done as good of a job of getting those people to be enthusiastic about Saccone. Whereas Connor Lamb has done a good job of bringing that Democratic base out and be really supportive of what he's trying to do. So to do this actual analysis, we broke out every device that we saw in this district into uh, quintiles uh, to a Highly Republican, quintile, leaning Republican, neutral, those are your true independent voters, lean Democrat, highly Democrat. Um, and when we take a look at those two extremes, the highly Republican and the highly Democratic uh, quintiles, we see that Democrats are outperforming Republican enthusiasm roughly by 9%. Um, considering that this is a slightly Republican-leaning district, that puts your Democrats just a little bit higher than the Republicans when, when we consider who's going to turn out on, on Tuesday. You, you feel pretty, pretty strongly that you have a prediction of what's going to happen on Tuesday. We do. It is our belief that Connor Lamb will win by a very small margin. The Republicans have the numbers advantage but we believe the Democrats have the enthusiasm and the issues advantage. And you know, one of the things that we really found on the Democratic side is a, part, a large index on a lot of the women's issues. And we believe that the women's vote could be a really key factor in this upcoming election. Um, I mean, we see a lot of things of childcare, women's health, um, whether that be Planned Parenthood or you know just healthcare in general, we also saw it was like a really big issue. People are worried about whether or not they're going to be able to maintain their coverage and whether or not they're going to be able to you know have the either whether it's pre-K you know for their kids or the type of schooling that they want. Um, that this is something that we think is going to be a really determining factor is can he can Connor Lamb really capture that type of momentum that he's been able to do and to help carry him and basically kind of use the women's vote as a way to get him into office. 
the converse is, is Sacone's supporters. And for them, the really interesting content that we're seeing, the highest ranking content clusters in our system, largely relate to guns. Uh, guns, we see people who are active investors, so there's a lot of financial interest in, uh, on, on the Republican side. What's really interesting though, um, when you look at this, 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 these financial related clusters is that they're highly concentrated on the Republican side. We don't really see them in the independent voters or on the Democrat side. And the way we're reading that is the signature Republican, the signature Republican legislation of the last year was uh, Trump's uh, tax cut. And it seems that it, that's only playing to the Republican base. Instead of growing the Republican brand, which is what they need to do to win in this district, it played to their base. Basically, the only people who give a, a hoot, let's put it that way, about this tax cut are the people who were already going to show up and vote Republican. It didn't do anything. It didn't move the dial at all for them. Um, yeah, I think that's one thing that's kind of interesting is we would have expected that as this tax bill is implemented and as you know people are starting to see a little bit more income on their paychecks, that enthusiasm that we're just not seeing on the Republican side should have probably happened as a result of that tax bill. And I think, you know, Lens and I, when looking at the data, it's just very much a part of the GOP base that was going to probably turn out anyways. It hasn't done anything to try to bring more people in as a way to continue to support, you know, the agenda that's being implemented. And that was a bit surprising for us because it's been such a huge push. Um, from the GOP party. If, if I were going to be giving the GOP a bit of advice right now about what they should actually be doing, if they want to grow their brand, pe what people are concerned about in this district are healthcare. We see a lot of healthcare related things popping for this district. And one of the things that's really surprising is looking at senior care content, but not senior care from the point of view of seniors, but senior care from the point of view of children who are looking at ways to take care of their elderly parents. Um, this is a very, I think there's a lot of compassion related things that the GOP can do that they're missing out on by making this, this focus on the tax cut, which quite frankly has fallen flat. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that, you know, whether it's healthcare, like it's, it's kind of like how can, these people are concerned about how they're gonna be able to maintain that, you know, quality of life, that they're not gonna have to go and worry about how can I afford my insurance, whether it's for myself, whether it's for, you know, my kids or, you know, my parents that are getting older. Um, like they're just looking for those types of services that are gonna just help make the other burdens, I think, a little bit easier in their lives. So we talked a lot about how um, campaigns can use data on their constituents, but how do you actually know where people are? Like well, that's a very difficult problem for us because we don't collect PII. PII is personally, potentially identifiable information. Data that's actually about a person could be linked to a name or an address or all those things that you would traditionally use to figure out where someone is. We don't get any of that. Every device that enters the distillery's ecosystem is just a bunch of randomly generated numbers. There's no names, there's no addresses. We have to use the data that comes into our system to make, in data science we, see, we love the word probabilistic. Probabilistic, the no PS version of probabilistic is an informed guess. And we use math to do those informed guesses and we use our statistical models. So one of our technologies is called homing. 
we collect location data and we attach it to histories of our, of our devices. We also use our crosswalk, which is the device graph that lets us connect devices together probabilistically. For those people who are going to be listening to this, we're going to use the word probabilistically a lot in these conversations. Um, we love Bayes' law. We take this data and we basically look for patterns. We look for recency, how, how many times, how, where have you been most recently? We take a look at frequency, how many times you've been to a place, and that works both ways. So if you've been to a place very few times, we're not going to home you there. But if you've been to a place lots and lots and lots of times, that's also something that we consider suspect. Um, that might be a Starbucks or your job, actually, not actually your house. So there's, there's a sweet spot in between. And I can't tell you what it is because the machine is constantly modifying that number to find, find what the right answer to that is. And we take a look at times. So people tend to follow certain schedules. And those schedules, by the way, change in different places. So in New York City, it tends to be 9 to 5. But in the factory town, you might have shift work where people are working around the clock. So our system takes all this information into, into account and it makes a best guess off of those anonymous histories as to where a device lives. And we do that down to a very fine level. We do that down to the level of a zip plus four. So people know standard issue five zip codes. They've often seen four additional numbers after that. Um, and those four additional uh, digits generally correspond to between 12 and 20 households. If you live in a city, roughly a city block. Okay. It's not a perfect analogy, but good one to get in your head. And we can home you down to a group of those zip plus fours that represent a relatively small part of the world. Um, and using that, we can make a guess as to where, where you live. You live somewhere very close to that zip four. It might not be that exact zip four, but zip fours are really, really tiny, and it's probably one of the ones nearby it. So what's next? So Tuesday happens, the, you know, we're gonna see the election results live Tuesday night. What, what's the next thing you're going to work on? Um, after the election, what we wanna do is take those results and use them as a way to you know, better inform the models and the methodology that we've been doing. Um, we think that we are you know, onto something, but we also know that it's the first step of what we hope to be a process where we can go and do a lot more of this type of predicting in November. Um, and really using this as a way, really as like a, a, kind of like a stepping stone to what we want to do of predicting the entire national election in 2018, whether every district, every Senate race. Um, and it would be great if we could do that. We are scientists in, at Distillery, and we have formed a hypothesis. It's kind of a little scary to form a hypothesis on this because it's very easily provable or, or disprovable. Um, but I don't think, I, I think a scientist is always happiest when they're proven wrong because it means that, that there's more to learn, that there's more to explore. We've highly instrumented this election. We have a lot of things in our system set up to capture data. And just like Pete said, we're going to take that data and we're going to use it to build out, to make our models better. So the first time we were actually calling an election. And we're going to use it to build new models. We are especially excited about tackling a turnout model. So what we have right now is an enthusiasm model. We understand 
across the entire district what people are interested in. That's what we do every day. That's our, that's our standard distillery brand focused technology. We've added this Democrat Republican model so we understand people who, who people are supporting. The third part of this in the crown and glory is a turnout model. So we can predict on election day who's actually going to vote. And between those three things, you can start putting together highly accurate understandings of an electorate. We, we're excited because this is a chance to collect that election data. I mean, there's only so many elections that are going to happen between now and November, and this is a chance to collect hard data that we can actually use to train our models. You are both confident in the data, that the data shows a Democratic win on Tuesday for Connor Lamb. But what happens if you're wrong? I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to blame Lance <laughs> and figure out what exactly he did wrong, because obviously it could have been me. Um, no, but like in all seriousness, I think that one of the things we're going to, and what we want to be doing is learning from this experience. Um, going back and looking, whether it's at the models or at the data, and understanding like how it could have been interpreted a little bit differently. We, we both feel really good about, about what's going to happen. And you know, even if the I think even if the GOP does pull out this victory, it's still a really impressive thing if the Democrats are going to be able to make this close. It's not a small thing that um, going into this, you know, that the GOP had 55% support in this district. If they can get close, that's an enormous change in the type of uh, the voting behaviors that's traditionally done. So um, we feel very confident that it's going to be uh, like a, a slight Democratic victory, but. Um, you know, all sides are pointing to a good democratic showing in this election. I think the best way to think about this is as, as an experiment. Our hypothesis is Connor Lamb is going to narrowly win in the PA 18 today. Um, but to be a scientist, you also have to be willing to be wrong. So it could be that our hypothesis is incorrect. And if that's true, then we're going to revisit our algorithms and we're going to take what we've learned. Like I said, we've, we've highly instrumented this. We're collecting a lot of data today. And we are gonna change those algorithms and we're going to try it again. And we're going to, to keep doing it until we get it right. So we should mention that we're recording this podcast on Friday, March 9th. So that's a few days before the election. And our data, as you mentioned, is built on enthusiasm. It's not built on turnout. So there is a chance that the Republicans will somehow gain more momentum over the weekend that could affect the turnout on Tuesday. Absolutely. There's all sorts of things that can affect turnout separate from enthusiasm. There's social effects. Um, if you know people who are voting, you're much more likely to turn out and vote. We don't yet measure that. There are climate effects. If it snows, it's going to be a lot more difficult for people to get to the polls and it's going to limit what's going on. There's news effects. There's all sorts of different things that exist outside of our system that we are not yet measuring. And one of the things that really excites us is the fact that we're now going to collect data and we're going to collect all sorts of things that surround this election that we can use to basically weight our learnings and be even more confident next time. Just as a plug for um, this project that you're working on, we <laughs> will have a full blog post uh, coming out today around 
the work that they're doing looking at PA18, but more specifically, they're looking at this data and understanding how a voter becomes a supporter. What does that journey look like and how do they first discover the candidate? And they are using a supporter of, Con of Connor Lamb as an example. So make sure you check out our blog, distillery.com, and you'll see the, the latest information from Peter and Pete. And you guys will join us again after the election, I hope. And only, me, only for right. Otherwise, it's just gonna be the last. <laughs> <laughs> he'll 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 take the, he'll take the fall. Yeah, I'm the fall guy. Too. Exactly I'm the right. fall guy for this. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us, and we will talk to you guys soon.